you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beach of Malibu Everybody knows it's coming apart Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. The topic for today, I don't want to get too long and involved with the topic. Um, today's, today's topic is going to be broken up into two episodes because I'm not sure how long it's going to take. To cover, it's kind of interrelated the topic, but it's going, today's topic is going to be my theories about the nace, my theories on the nature of Freemasonry. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. So, before the prayer, I pretty much covered my intentions for this episode, so I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the topic. Freemasonry, its first public ah, uh, its its first public mention or the mention that this secret society even existed is the historical record that the first two lodges in Freemasonry were in London and in York 
or I'm sorry, that's a mistake. Um, the first two lodges were opened in York, England, and I don't have the my notes in front of me, but I believe the second lodge was opened in Edinburgh or in, in and around the year 1712 or 1710. And the York Wright, I'm sorry, the York Lodge invented what is known as the York Rite or the English Rite and the Edinburgh Edinburgh Lodge, and by the way, for those of you who are unaware, Edinburgh is in Scotland, is known as the Scottish Rite. Those are the first public mentions of Freemasonry. However, throughout my research and Freemasonry unmasked by Monsignor George Dillon, uh, hints at it, hints at it. He doesn't come directly out and say it. And by the way, before I get any further in this, in these two episodes, this is these are my theories, and I will get into why I call them my theories. But uh, Monsignor George Dillon, in his book Freemasonry Unmasked, Unmasked. Hints at the fact that these secrets, uh, that the Masons or the the seeds of the Masons, in other words, the people, the uh, I'm trying not to think of a ten cent word to use, the uh, the founders and the practitioners of Masonry existed long before the public mention and the opening of these the, the public opening of these two lodges in the 1700s that is why i say that freemasonry um you know existed before the 1700s the the very public opening of lodges and recruitments in England and Scotland, the, the founders and the practitioners existed long before then, although there's no hard evidence as to who the founder of Masonry is. But I'm just going to be direct since they worship Satan, we could say the founder is Satan and leave it at that. The the human founder of this secret organization does not matter. What matters is, is the fact, whether they are aware of it or not, they practice, or I'm sorry, they practice Satanism. Going back to what I've always said, that your intentions don't matter. And, and there are some hints that free, the, the, the secret society known as Freemasonry 
may have existed as early as the 1200s, which would have made it at the height of Christendom. Now, there's a reason I'm saying this. When Christendom existed, the whoever founded Freemasonry was rebelling against uh, the conception of God as the king over all human beings. Because if you if you read some of the writings of the Freemasons, they make a generalized reference to a God. In some writings, they'll refer to this God as the Grand Architect. But they do not, I repeat, they do not mention Jesus Christ our Lord or the Holy Trinity by name. And in order to acknowledge our God, you have to acknowledge him directly. And I want people to use their common sense here. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ is God, you know, God of this earth and of all creations, and the Holy Trinity does exist, and that he's the second person of that Trinity, why would you need to make an indirect acknowledgement of that fact? Just think about that point. Anyhow, because of the nature of Freemasonry, well, let me go back. There are two, like any secret society, there are two aspects. There's the secret aspect, what I call the string pullers or the shot callers, and there is also the public face. When Freemasonry became public in the 1700s, that began their public facade. And the public facade that they put out is, oh, we're a charitable organization. Um, we're just a group of like-minded individuals who all believe the same thing. And we just get together and we exchange ideas and we do charitable works. Uh, if you read Monsignor Dillon's book, it is referred to as a blue lodge. These members, the majority of them, because there are actually members of the secret Masonic societies within these lodges that kind of direct things, a lot of these members, out of ignorance, do not realize that the foundation of Freemasonry is actually anti-Catholic. Now, for my Vatican II sect members and for my um, Protestants and uh, non-believers out there, or ag agnostics, 
Um, anything anti, and when I say anti-Catholic, obviously any long-term listener will know I'm referring to the pre-Vatican II Council Catholicism. It's a rejection of his visible church, I'm sorry, visible church on earth, and it is a rejection of his godship over earth and over all creation. They are unaware of it. However, the people that are actual in the actual secret organization of Masonry, um, to greater or lesser degrees, depending on their level and um, their level of favor and who they are as a person, literally, or yeah, literally reject the kingship of Jesus Christ over this earth. Now, it's gotten to the point in today's society and culture that the Blue Lodge Masons, those are the Masons. These are the Masons. And they're just a bunch of harmless guys that just, you know, they, they want to share ideas and they want to um, do charitable works. And... Um, I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on masonry. If you feel that the idea is intriguing, I encourage you to do your own research. And um, I'm going to leave it at that, but I want to move on to my theories as to the nature of Freemasonry. Because Freemasonry at its foundation is a secret society. Hard information about the secret society part is hard to come by. It's extremely difficult to come by. The writings of Monsignor Dillon in his book, Freemasonry on Mass, were based on some captured documents that Vatican, and we're talking uh, pre-Vatican II um, church, um, troops of the papal states. Remember, we're talking, I think they captured these documents in the early, um, I want to say 18, early 1800s, um, were captured by either Papal states, soldiers, or policemen. And for the sake of this, for the sake of this episode, it doesn't matter whether they were policemen or soldiers, they captured them off of a high-ranking Mason. And then later, Monsignor Dillon referenced some of these captured documents, but they literally captured one of the secret society Masons. And what a lot of modern people 
for the most part, because I don't want a broad brush, for debt is like the World Economic Forum. They'll say, well, there's no, there's no hard evidence that Klaus Schwab wants to, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum wants to destroy, you know, 60 to 90% of the world's population. Well, once again, with any public facade of any organization, that could be the World Economic Forum, the U.S. government, the English government, the Japanese government, uh, Amazon, eBay, pick your organization there is the facade, and then there's the inner workings. I tried to tell a friend of a friend of mine this at an uh, at an earlier time, you know, and I want to stress this point because it's, it it needs to be stressed. If you are unwilling to do your own research. And it doesn't necessarily have to be me personally. And somebody comes to you and says, hey, such and such has nefarious, um, has nefarious or what I call um, evil intent. And you refuse to do your own research. What a lot of moderns do is they say, nah, nah, nah. Nah, that, that sounds outlandish. That sounds crazy. That sounds like a conspiracy theory. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing it. Nah. Well, if you're unwilling to do your own research, and I told this to my friend, you deserve what you get. Um, but finding out the inner workings of the World Economic Forum are also hard to come by. Although, oh, back up just a little bit. I believe that there are the highest ranking Masons within the World Economic Forum, those who are of the secret society type. They're so full of their own hubris they're so full of their own hubris that they think that they're sitting pretty, as we say in the States, and that nobody can stop them. And I might add, given my own theological position of divine providence, if it is God's divine providence that they are going to be part of the Great Tribulation, they're right. Nothing on earth can stop them. However, whatever God's intentions and plans are, he will stop them from doing things that go outside of his will, that he allows, as I talked about yesterday. Whatever, whatever he wills, and they try to overstep those boundaries, he's going to smack them like a puppy that wet the carpet. Actually, it's going to be a lot more bloody and a lot more harsh than that, but he will smack them down. 
like the red-haired stepchildren that they are. But, um, once again, I'm going to circle back to the beginning of the topic. So, the first public face of Freemasonry, the first public um, mention was the opening of the two lodges in York, England, and in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, as I said before, a lot of the people that joined those lodges had no idea, even though Scotland and England at that time were very much Protestant, they had no idea that the secret um, the secret intentions of Freemasonry were, or are, I should say, open rebellion against God's dominion over creation. And in keeping with that, um, in intelligence organizations, if they, or for that matter, for police organizations, when police do undercover work, they will open up what I call a facade. And what I mean by a facade is, is they will open what appears on the surface to be an, uh, a harmless, a harmless front. And, you know, it depends. It could be an organization. It could be a business. It could be a website. And what they'll do is, is they will spout things or they will do services that go against the quote-unquote laws of whatever uh, government that they're under to see if they can get people that they want to put in jail to, to come in to whatever front they're running and do intelligence on them. And if they decide that that person is a threat to them, they will arrest them and toss them in jail. In the cases of governments, you get locked up in Gitmo. Um, I'm talking about the U.S. government, obviously. Um, but while Lenin had an expression for people that were serving the communist cause, but didn't realize their ultimate ends, he called them useful idiots. The useful idiots of the Blue Lodges are a front for the, for, for the actual Masons, because when people like myself try to warn people about the threat posed by the, the, the actual Masons, they'll say, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Masons. They, they're the, the, over eight, uh, the overweight, middle-aged men who ride around in red cars with fezzes. And anybody who's done their reading of totalitarian regimes knows 
that when Lenin got tired of the useful idiots within Russia after the Russian Revolution, he promptly executed them. Those who were lucky got exiled, the majority of them got killed in the gulag or in the local secret police headquarters. Same thing is going to happen to the Blue Lodge Masons. They're just a front. They're a front for the actual Masons who are pulling the strings. And they are run by actual Masons who are pulling the strings. So, take this for what it's worth. I'm going to be saying that a lot through the next two episodes. If you read the pamphlet, the secret, excuse me, the secret instructions to the Alte Vendita, you will read where one high-ranking actual Mason is writing to another high-ranking Mason, actual Mason. He tells them, we want to infiltrate governments and we want to put our infiltrators in positions of power so that we can enact laws, we can change the laws from Catholic natural law into our own Masonic uh, principle laws. Now, for those of you who may have read the Alta Vendita, you may argue, well, they didn't actually come right out and say that. It depends on your reading of the material in question. However, I would argue that given the events of the past 200 to 300 years, that's exactly what happened. And I would also argue that since they were both high-ranking actual Masons, they didn't need to come right out and state their purposes because if you agree with somebody, you know implicitly what that person's, uh, that they share your goals and your viewpoints. In other words, if you're talking to a close relative, they're going to know implicitly what you're talking about, whereas if you're talking to a stranger, you have to be more implicit. Now, this should be common sense, but as I never get tired of saying, common sense is in short supply these days. Now, at that time, I'm talking about the early 1800s when these documents were captured, and Monsignor Dillon, unfortunately did not give the actual date that these letters were written, as far as I could tell. From the materials I've seen, I don't remember that the letters were dated, which in keeping with secret societies or intelligence agencies would make sense. Because one of the key principles of intelligence operations is you don't give any indication in your paperwork or in your records of things that you are doing in case these documents get captured. And as I said in an earlier episode, 
a lot of police and intelligence organizations use Masonic tactics because they are literally based off of actual Masonic practices and principles, I might add, whether they're aware of it or not. But, and there's, there's a reason I'm going into this explanation, and some people are going to think, man, he's an artist. He's, you know, he's talking about stuff that is way off of his intended uh, topic. Once again, I will remind you, I will bring it back around. At this time, whether it was the late 1700s or the early 1800s, does not matter. There were still Christian and when I say Christian, I'm talking about actual Catholic kingdoms run by actual princes. And part of the instructions to the Alta Bendita were, we need to overthrow the Catholic, the actual Catholic kings and princes and put make these governments, quote unquote, democratic. And when I say the word democratic, just read Masonically Masonically uh, designed. Now, when I say this, I'm saying this from actually having read some of the documents. Like I said earlier, I can't devote full-time study to masonry. I've got you know, I've got personal things I've got going on. And just by the very nature of actual Freemasonry, actual hard information is hard to come by. And since the Masons currently actually inhabit the Vatican... The pre-Vatican II churches captured intelligence on the Freemasonic movement are obviously either going to be destroyed or they're going to be locked in the bowels of the Vatican where they will not see the light of day until our Lord and His Blessed Mother come and clean up this pigsty which is known as the earth. But I want to I wanna go to American Freemasonry because that's actually the topic that I'm getting to. George Mason, I'm sorry, George Washington, although George Mason himself might have actually been a Mason, but George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin were all Freemasons. And... Um, at this time, America had not won its independence at, right before the revolution. But these guys were in touch with actual, actual French Masons, where they were exchanging ideas. And it is a historical fact that the French Masons within the French royal court of Louis XVI worked to convince Louis XVI, as we call him vulgarly in America, 
hey, you need to support the American Revolution because, and they did it on natural levels. And like good any good intelligence agency, they hid their real aims from Louis XVI. They didn't tell him, well, you need to support the American Revolution, waste your your uh, the 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 kingdom's treasury and your goodwill with the French citizens by bankrupting the country, and that way we get to put you out of power and make France a quote-unquote republic, or actually in their minds, they were going to make it a Masonic kingdom based on Masonic principles. Um, things happened within, and by the way, when Napoleon, Napoleon was a part of this movement, and that is why when he lost the Napoleonic Wars. He died in exile, as I said in an earlier episode, of poisoning because he had stepped outside his boundaries as a Mason. And, you know, the Mason's ruthlessness, and I'll call it demonic ruthlessness, is a stock in trade in the Masonic movement. If you step outside their bounds, they will kill you. And they won't think twice about it. But I want to bring this back to the American Revolution. So they were in contact with the French Masons. And the, the French Masons, like any good intelligence agencies, provided the American Masons with resources so that they could start the rebellion against the English crown. Now, this is where it's going to get kind of complicated, but try to hang with me. Try to hang with me. Number one, the English crown under George III. George III might have not have been an actual Mason. However, there were, because Freemasonry, the public Freemasonry, actually existed in the early 1700s, there were plenty of actual and useful idiots for Freemasonry within his own government. So he didn't actually need to be Freemasonic. His government, as uh, well, indirectly was Masonic. Oh, by the way, for an interesting deep dive into this, read about the Freemason Lord Palmerston, who was a member of Parliament in the early, uh, mid-1800s to late-1800s, I want to say. Anyhow, as far as the American revolutionists go, Washington, Franklin, and Jefferson were actual Masons themselves. There were probably more actual Masons themselves. Unfortunately, as I said, hard information is hard to come by. Not every American um, revolutionist was an actual Freemason. But as I said earlier, they were useful idiots because 
they were under their own conception. Well, if we overthrow George III, we can, you know, we can form, because at that time, the goal of the American revolutionists was every colony become its own independent country, separated from the British crown. And, and by the way, everything I'm talking about, if you read about Freemasonry, the stuff that's public, it is a documented fact that all these guys, especially Ben Franklin, were actual Masons. But, so when I say that the American revolutionists are Masons, people have a tendency in today's society and culture to think literally that I'm calling them actual Masons. You have to remember my context. My context is your intentions don't matter. If you are the, the, the average SS bureaucrat in World War II Germany who just shuffled paperwork, and did not know about the death camps is every bit as responsible for the atrocities of Nazi Germany as the actual concentration camp guards and commandants who ran the concentration camps. It's the same thing for the American uh, revolutionaries. Whether they knew it or not, they were serving an evil cause, so indirectly, they are, from my context, Masons. I just wanted to make that clear. Because a lot of people listen and they think, well, he's saying every American revolutionist from, from the lowliest private in the Continental Army to the uh, constitutional representative of a particular colony was a Mason. No, I'm not. But I'm saying because they went along with the Masonic principles of our founding, indirectly, they are mis Masons. That's why I say, you know, it's, it's verbal shorthand. Just to, 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 to make my point clear, the Blue Lodge Masons, while they may not share the views and the outlooks of the goals of the actual Masons, are still Masons. Now, if they become aware of Masonic principles and goals and get out of it and denounce it, um, that's a different story. And by the way, for you Vatican II types, you're going to reference John Salsa. You're going to say, well, John Salsa, he, he, uh, he denounces Freemasonry all the time and says it's illegal, blah, 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 blah. Two things. Number one, there were actual, within the Catholic Church, and I'm talking pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, actual Masonic members who later became cardinals, and I want you Vatican II types to get this through your thick skull, popes. There are documented, there is documented evidence that 
Um, Mr. Montini was actually an actual Mason, and Mr. Roncalli, i.e. Pope John the Twenty-Third, if he was not an actual Mason, he sympathized with Masonry, which in my book makes him as good as a Mason. But John Salza, mm, let me go back a little bit again. Part of intelligence gathering operations or the operations of a intelligence agency are what is known as double agents. They will send one of their own guys to their enemies who will claim, hey, uh, I don't believe in these guys anymore. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I'll give you the intelligence that you want to know. And um, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be your spokes guy. I'll be your spokes guy. If the guy's like a high-ranking member of the intelligence agency. In the meantime, they're shoveling back to the people that they actually serve, and I don't care if it's a police organization or a government, information about their enemies or what they, you know, what they call their enemies to their headquarters. And not only do they do that, their headquarters will send them information that's either out of date or misleading to their agents and say, here, give them this stuff. This, we don't need this stuff anymore. It's, you know, there, there's no way that this will ever come back to bite us. Give them this. And it'll seem to their enemies as actual intelligence when in very fact, in very fact, it is, it, it's, it's what, what we know in the military is dead intelligence. It's not, you can't do anything with it. And by the time their enemies realize, well, wait a minute, this information he gave me or she gave me is it's not actionable. It's too late. They've already done their plans. Now, in addition to this, double agents plant misinformation. Well, I've kind of talked about that. This is what is known as misinformation. This concept I just got done speaking about is known as misinformation. My theory on John Salza, and once again, this will never get proven until our mother and our Lord come back and uh, clean up this pigsty. I think he's a double agent because, because he did not start denouncing Freemasonry I want to say until either the 90s or the early 2000s, it is a documented fact, and I've given this information, but for anyone who's interested, please contact me on my, on my uh, listener mailbag, and I will give you the information. In their book, What Happened to the Catholic Church, Fathers Radecki, Dominic and I forget the other uh, father's name, document, 
that the Code of Canon Law of 1983, Vatican II Code of Canon Law, made um, I'm sorry, membership in organizations such as the Freemasons legal. And I had pointed out to the Vatican II lemmings ad nauseum that despite the fact that his, the Pope, and this would have been Mr. Watia, or to you Vatican II types, he would have been known as uh, Pope John Paul II, made membership in Masonry legal. Because it was his code of canon law, by the way, his bishops and cardinals helped him write that code, and yet he denounced it. Now, this is why I suspect he's a double agent. If he's truly Catholic, and he believes that what comes out of the magisterium, in this case, the fake magisterium of the Vatican II Council, he would have no right to denounce that. That ruling. And furthermore, let's just say he wanted to buck the trend. Let's just say he, he thought that this was beyond the pale and unacceptable. Then he would have joined the set of a contest. But he didn't do it. He stayed within the Vatican II stack and is still there. By the way, still denouncing set of a contism. Now, that is why I feel he is a double agent. Now, some people might argue, well, maybe this is just a case of cognitive dissidence. And I don't know the man's soul, so for the sake of charity, let's just say, okay, maybe he's being cognitive dissident. And he doesn't understand, you know, he... He doesn't see anything wrong with this. Even if he's a Blue Lodge Mason, he here here comes another another uh well never mind. What I'll say this is this for the sake of charity, let's just say that he's unaware. That he's literally unaware. The actual Masons inhabit the Vatican II and gave us the Vatican II Council. He still, if he hasn't done his due diligence and gone back to the 1917 Code of Canon Law and the actual, you don't have to go very far back to read Pope Leo XIII's encyclical against Freemasonry. So he's wrong on a religious level. Let's just say, let's give him the benefit of doubt and say from a natural level. He, he thought that being a Mason was okay. And since the, uh, the 1983 Vatican II Code of Canon Law said, hey, it's okay, you can be a Mason. And he joined me. He's like, wait a minute. These guys want to overthrow Catholicism. They're wrong. And he's giving warnings. The fact that he was unaware of Pope Leo XIII's encyclical against Masons, he's still wrong from a religious viewpoint because he should have been aware. That's called uh, knowing your Catholicism. 
And by the way, the reason I referenced Pope Leo XIII was because he was the most recent pope to write an actual encyclical against it. But there were two other popes prior to Leo XIII who did the same thing. And these guys were in the late 1700s to early 1800s. But anyway... In the Alte Vendita, by the way, it is implicitly stated that you, all, or I'm sorry, that the Masons wanted to over, uh, they, uh, they didn't want an actual Mason to become Pope. They wanted a Mason, or I'm sorry, a sympathetic Pope to implement their plans to overthrow the Catholic Church. And in the documents of the Alta Vendita, it implicitly states, we want somebody who's sympathetic to our cause, whether they know it or not, to bring in free our, our goals and our principles by cope and by crown. What they mean by that expression is if it's a prince, they want the prince to do it. But when they say cope, every literate Catholic knows that the pope wears a robe known as a cope. So they're saying Catholic princes and the pope. And... If anyone reads the excredible, and when I say excredible, I mean crappy copy of John Venary's book, and John Venary is also what I believe to be an infiltrator, of the Alta Vendita, he leaves that key passage out. For those of you who are interested in the book, in, in Falato's book, oh, Email me. If you have a question, there's a book by a fellow Sedevacantist from uh, Europe who writes about why Sedevacantism is the answer. He, he was the one, it was his book that I read this in, that John Venieri had left out that key passage. For those of you who are interested, and this time I promise I'm not going to get stupid and insult people for being lazy, write me an email. I will give you the, the name of the author is Falato. And it's basically this set of a contest's last name. He wrote, he has a book, hardcover and uh, Amazon book, where he talks about this particular aspect. Now, having gone through my autism, I'm going to get into the topic of how the revolutions and the civil wars prior to World War I were a test run. I know, almost an hour to get to the main point. What are you going to do? I'm an autistic freak. Call me what you like. Now, the Blue Lodge Masons being willing tool or unwilling, unwitting tools of the actual Masons, they infiltrated their guys into European governments. Oh, before I get into that. So after 
the American Revolution was successful and overthrew England's rule over America, France had its own revolution. And anybody who's familiar with American history knows that we sent Benjamin Franklin, notice the name, Benjamin Franklin, as a representative of the U.S. government to support the French revolutionaries. And I believe um, Thomas Jefferson was president at that time. He gave them de facto support. Now, the cover story is, is the reason why Jefferson gave support to the uh, French revolutionaries was because, oh, hey, we don't believe in monarchy. We just got rid of our own American monarchy. Therefore, we're supporting the French revolutionaries. I believe that there was an ulterior motive behind that that we won't find out about until later when it all comes clear. But the French revolutionaries not only overthrew Louis XVI, but they also killed him and his family, just like the Russian revolutionaries during the Russian Revolution killed the Tsar and his family and anyone that supported those royal kingdoms. So, and then you had Napoleon. As I said earlier, if you read Monsignor Dillon's book, it is a matter, and I know this for a fact, because as I said in an earlier episode, when I was looking for the principles of Freemasonry, I came across a website called freemasonicquotes.com. Napoleon, was his quotes were mentioned in that website. And I also heard uh, Bishop Sanborn's episode about Freemasonry um, on True Restoration Radio, where he talks about how Napoleon was an actual Freemason. But anyway, once, so America, and this is going to get to my next episode, America is a artificial construct from a national viewpoint. France, as it's currently constructed, is also an artificial construct. Once again, I will be doing a, another episode on this. But prior to World War I, Italy and Germany were not the artificial constructs of countries that we know today. They were actually a bunch of little principalities in Germany and in Italy that there were own independent kingdoms. In East Prussia, you had East Prussia. Uh, Bavaria was its own country. Uh, I wish I could, I, I remember... I, this is inexcusable since I was stationed in Germany, but the, but the provinces of Germany and Italy were their own independent kingdoms. 
And so what the Masons did was they started revolutions in Germany and Italy to overthrow the local kingdoms and unite them under their own rule. Now, in the case of Germany, they used Bismarck as their witting tool. And in Italy, they used the Italian revolution revolutionary leader and he was an actual mason i i I know his name but i can't pronounce it so i'm not going to try because i'm going to catch crap if i try to but in the case of italy the mason who was the italian revolutionary um they unified italy and then they put a, a a masonic puppet As king, he was known as Victor Emmanuel. And in addition to unifying Italy under their control, they took the papal states from the Vatican. And when Vatican I, not two, one in the 1800s was called, The Pope at that time was a literal prisoner inside the Vatican because it was well known within Vatican circles. He dared not trust anyone outside of the Vatican because there was a price on his head by the Masons. And so that period of time is known in Catholic circles as the Pope as captive. In Germany... In Germany, Bismarck, before he started his wars with Austria and France, basically made Germany a unified country um, under, let's call spade a spade, under his command. Now, people are going to, who are historically literal, well, no, 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 Kaiser Wilhelm, he was, he was, he was the king. Anybody who knows their history knows Kaiser Wilhelm, basically was Bismarck's puppet until I want to say it was either his son or his grandson put him out of government. I'm not sure if it was Kaiser Wilhelm's son or his grandson. But they they put Bismarck out of the government when Bismarck wouldn't tow their line. And for those of you who are historically minded, I want to remind you what I said in yesterday's podcast. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is by accident. This is all willed by God. This is all God's will. So you take it for what it's worth. But you had those two. You you, you had those two revolutions. And in the 1860s, I don't have to tell my American audience this, we had the American Civil War. When I was perusing the internet for Masonic principles, another president's quote came across my radar, and this was under MasonicQuotes.com, and you'll never guess who, which president came on in that website. For my American audience out there, that's right. It was Abe Lincoln, good old honest Abe, 
He freed the slaves. He defeated the nasty slaveholding South for you younger types. And for you libertarians, he's the guy who basically used the Constitution as toilet paper. And you're right about that, but for the wrong reasons. Now, the American Civil War, prior to, I want to say Vietnam, is the, the information I got, was the bloodiest war that the American nation had ever been into. Now, a lot of you historical 300 IQ takers, oh no, World War One, World War II in Korea, they, 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 they were bloodier. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I am an amateur student of American military history. Prior to the Civil War, neither World War I, World War II, or the Korean War had nearly the casualty figures that the Civil War had. It's a matter of historical record. Instead of being a 300 IQ taker, look it up. Anyhow, in the American Civil War, Abe Lincoln, and by the way, for you St. Pius X Society artists out there who think that the South was, you know, Christian, they were no more Christian than they are now. They are Protestants at best, unwitting tools of masonry at worst. But we got the invention um, of entrenchments and barbed wire. I'm sorry, entrenchments and um, machine guns. Okay. Now, barbed wire, and I know this, ironically enough, because I actually lived in the town where they had invented barbed wire. And barbed wire was invented in the 1830s by... I think it was a farmer or whatever, to keep his cattle from roaming outside their pens. Barbed wire was not used in the Civil War. However, anybody who's historically minded will know that barbed wire played a huge part of World War I. But I'm going to get into this. So, I believe... And I'm, I'm going to try to bring tie this up into a neat little bow. Part of the operational workings of any secret society or intelligence agency is that of what I call a test operation or a test run. In the case of America... My theory is, is that it was a test run to see just how united the United States was. And it was also, I think, one of the goals of this test run was to see if countries could, populations of countries who were united in so far as they were fellow countrymen against each other. And... Those who are historically minded will know 
that the revolutions in Italy and Germany did not happen until the 1870s. The Civil War in America ended in 1865. So I believe the American Revolution was a test run. Oh, I'm sorry, um, not revolution, um, Civil War was a test run. Their two goals were to see if they could get you Americans pitted against each other. And number two, and I owe this to leftist writers and some writers who are honest historians, um, without getting too deep in the weeds, ever, uh, the, uh, uh, some people may be familiar with the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. Anybody who's read about World War II will know that the Germans, Italians, and Russians used their weaponry in the Spanish Civil War, which was against the King of Spain by people calling themselves um, Democrats because they, their stated goal was they wanted Spain to be democratic, not a royalty, that they used their latest weaponry as a test run to see how these things would actually, their weapons would actually work in wartime conditions. But I believe that the germ of this idea was started during the American Civil War. And as I said before, trenches and machine guns were two of the first things started or invented during that Civil War. For your, for the autists out there, well, actually, the machine gun was invented before World, uh, the Civil War, the American Civil War. Okay, fine. But in the Civil War, the Gatling gun was used on a mass scale for the first time. If it were invented before the American Civil War, it was just an invention which had not been tested yet. So you had the American Civil War in the 1860s. You had the revolutions, the revolution, revolutions in Italy and Germany. And then, not quite 50 years later, you had World War I. Now, try to follow this thought, this theory I've got. Now, prior to World War I, prior to World War I, okay, you had the American Civil War, nation. You had the revolution in Italy, nation. You had Bismarck's revolution. Nation. So at this point, it's all a national affair. In World War One, the name gives it away. You actually had a war on a worldwide scale. And I believe the Masons did this for, and this is just a theory once again. This is my theory. Number one, they wanted to see if they could get fellow Catholic Catholics 
in different countries to fight against each other. Which, by the way, anybody who knows their Civil War knows, there were Catholic regiments in the Confederate Army and there were definitely Catholics in the Union Army. And I believe that the experience that they learned from the American Civil War taught them, hey, we can get Catholics to fight against each other despite their quote-unquote common religion. But they wanted, I, I believe one of the one of the goals of the Masons for World War I was to see if they could get Catholics on a global level to fight against each other. And you got to remember, too, in World War I, Austria-Hungary was on paper a Catholic nation. And they were allied with the Germans. Okay? Um, and I believe that the test run for World War, that was World War I, the, the goals for that were, number one, to mass slaughter anybody, and I, I think the, re, you know, obviously in World War I, not everybody who held on to traditional viewpoints was slaughtered. That's ridiculous. But it's a pretty safe bet that if you're grabbing up anybody from the ages of 16 to 30, the cream of manhood, and you're literally slaughtering them in mass human wave attacks against in-place machine guns with barbed wire, how the world would accept it. And along with that is, how would the world accept Propaganda, Masonic propaganda. Oh, the evil Germans. Oh, the evil English. Oh, the evil Italians. Oh, the evil French. Oh, the evil Russians. And one of the end goals, well, I already said, you know, my theory is, is that they, they wanted to kill the majority of men who might have had, even in a vague way, um, traditional viewpoints or thoughts. Now, I think World War I, as been, has been historically documented, paved the way for World War II, which was to finish the job. But anybody who's historically literate knows... That World War I basically killed any amount of tradition that lasted in the world. It literally killed it and paved the way through modern to, to modern day society and culture that we've that we're currently living in now. Now, I know that, well. Not that I think many set of contest lesson, but if should there be an actual set of contest out there, you're going to argue. Well, see, World War One gave us the uh, modern world we live in. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. 
World War One intensified the degradation and destruction of culture and society. It was not the start. The start had began when the first two Masonic Lodges were started in England back in the early 1700s, 400 years ago. But these, and, and you got to remember too, um, sorry, I, I, I lost, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Um, but I believe that the revolution, the revolutions in Italy and Germany, and for that matter, well, I'll get to that in a minute, and the, the American Civil War were test runs. Now, Napoleon, I believe, was also a test run because you got to remember what I said earlier. Napoleon is not that there's any doubt, it's a matter of historical record, Napoleon was an actual Mason. I believe that he started his war of revolution in Europe, trying to overthrow the monarchies. That was also a test run. And once again, if Napoleon is a Mason, there are unknown, and I literally mean unknown, goals and plans and principles that him and his inner circle of Masons that he was fellows with had planned when he did this. So this is the end of part one. They're going to be two separate episodes. But that is my theories on why everything that happened before World War I was a test run for the degradation and destruction of society and culture that we could, uh, well, that gave us the culture and society we currently live in. I hope and pray you guys find this edifying. I really do. And for those of you who say, well, it's just his theory. Yeah, you're right, because there's no actionable, solid evidence. You know, if there were, we might not be in this mess, but we are. And so there's no actionable, hard evidence for those of you who need appeals to authority. Well, he doesn't have actual documents, blah, 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 blah. You're right. I don't accept the permanent instructions of the Alta Vendita. Those, those documents exist. The book by Monsignor Dillon exists. And for those of you who need a, uh, appeals to authorita, I want to remind you of something. Well, not remind. I want to tell you something. A good person who's who um is attempting to be like an intelligence officer if they're not actually an intelligence officer for a military or a government will take bits of evidence that they've gathered 
through, through various sources and put forth a theory on how to attack their enemy. or their goals, their plans, um, through, you know, um, they'll say, I, this is my theory. Uh, let's just say Germany and America are at war, World War III. A good intelligence officer or just a person trying to think like one is going to take the various bits of evidence and try to put it all together and advance the theory. That's what I'm trying to do here. And sometimes, because we live in the times we live in, we have this unfortunate concept of, well, I need, a, I, I, I need hard evidence. I need hard evidence. Anybody who's uh, ever been in the military will tell you, sometimes hard evidence you're not going to have. You have to go on a theory or a hunch. So... This is my theory. You take it for what it's worth. Thank you for giving me over an hour of your time. I do appreciate it. I really do. And I hope and pray you guys get something out of this. If nothing else, if nothing else, some food for thought. Something to think about. I really hope so. Thank you for your time and patience. I pray for everyone. And I do. And I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. But without being able to recognize a grace when it is given to you and accept it, you're not going to be able to accept the grace unless you receive a singular grace from our Lord and His Blessed Mother. You're not going to be able to recognize the grace when it's given to you. Thank you for listening. Uh, a sincere, a sincere and true God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.